0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Bringing greetings from across the pond, as we say, in Johannesburg, South Africa. After our 25 and a half years there, I think I've acquired some sort of uh, accent I call Atlantic. It's stuck somewhere between here and there. <laughs> Grew up originally in Katy, Texas, and it's union to be back with Chadwicks and uh, Auntie Margaret, a real uh, mother in the faith in many ways, and to have my brothers here from uh, antioch Bible Church so next time you're passing through Johannesburg please look us up we would love to have you for a meal and have you fellowship with us appreciate your prayers for us they're just finishing up the evening service now uh, at our church seven hours ahead and uh, it's an honor to be with you and to open God's word and uh, I know you've been blessed with some mighty preachers in the pulpit a brilliant mind like Scott Anol I we've value his research greatly on uh, worship and corporate worship and music for years, so I'm glad you had him, I believe, recently, and you have Vodi Balcom, a good friend of our church, uh, coming up as well, but neither of them can claim that they've known your pastor and his wife for 30 plus years, so there we go, that's my my contribution as well as uh, opening God's Word with you, but uh, it's been such a joy to uh, serve the Lord uh, and reconnect as he brings us together, a little taste of heaven, isn't it, when we get to... uh, share of the triumphs of his grace and uh, how appropriate the hymns this morning as we turn to Matthew chapter 16 and uh, as we sang ours the cross the grave the skies what does that mean as we sang go to Garth- dark Gethsemane actually can you hand me that hymnal I-, I meant to bring it up with me I had even saved it, I think didn't I put a flyer in there or I'll find it anyway oh maybe it's the other one yeah there we go did I did I mark it yeah okay thank you go to dark Gethsemane how appropriate, as we come to God's Word in a moment. But uh, as we uh, come to Matthew, we're going through Matthew expositorily, as I'm sure is your conviction here, verse by verse, in the Antioch Bible Church in Johannesburg, and I uh, would love to share with you more about the ministry, and uh, I had some cards, uh, or my family, and some prayer cards that you could, um, once my suitcase arrives, maybe you can uh, see those, but uh, um, We are uh, uh, in chapter um, a little bit further along now, but when I mentioned to Scott a few options and favorite texts, uh, this was the one that he said uh, would ask me to preach, and uh, I've titled it, Come and Die, Come and Die, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, and those words actually come from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knows about Bonhoeffer, I'm sure you're a well-taught church, Lutheran pastor, Nazi Germany, martyred for opposing Hitler. In the 1940s, his classic book was entitled The Cost of Discipleship, and Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. So today I join with the Lord Jesus and with Bonhoeffer and with the saints and martyrs down through the ages and bid you to come and die. It was Spurgeon, we were just in London yesterday and uh, savoring some of the riches of church history there for a few hours on our layover. And uh, didn't make it to Spurgeon's church, but I'll mention a bit later some of the spots that we did get to see. And uh, it was Spurgeon himself that said, never did the church so much prosper and so truly thrive. How would you finish that sentence? The church prospers; she thrives, she's most, most healthy when. Here's how Spurgeon finishes the blank. When she was baptized in blood. When she was baptized in blood. The ship of the church never sails so gloriously along as when the bloody spray of her martyrs falls on her deck. We must suffer and we must die if ever we are to conquer the world for Christ. Ever heard of Roy Hessian? Some of you show your age. Remember his famous book, Calvary Road? My mom said he actually came to Katy and that had an impact in the 80s before we had found Katy Bible Church and good expository teaching. We were still in a more kind of shallow, uh, typical, at the time, man-centered, Southern Baptist church. And um, Hessian had a real impact on my parents and my mom. It was in 1950 that he wrote an impactful little book, The Calvary Road, sold over a million copies, translated more than 70 languages. He wrote it in 1947 after visiting East Africa, where Hessian saw the sweeping revival that was taking place. And he said it it exposed his own deep personal need. It was like starting the Christian life all over again as he came humbly to the cross. And out of that experience, Hessian wrote this book, The Calvary Road. And a disclaimer, I don't condone his full Keswick theology, but I can still appreciate his insights. There's a lot of meat with perhaps a few little bones. Hessian says, Dying to self is not a thing we do once for all. There may be an initial dying when God first shows these things, but ever after it will be a constant dying. For only so can the Lord Jesus be revealed through us. You wonder, how are we going to apply this very familiar text? By the way, after I preached it, we had church camp, our annual church camp last weekend, and the preacher didn't realize I'd been in Matthew. Fair enough. He's a busy man. He did a wonderful job. And he was in Luke, and he preached the same text in Luke. And my married son now uh, leaned over to me. He said, Dad, I think the Lord really wants us to get the point of this text. I said, yeah, and I've been asked to preach it next week in Kentucky. <laughs> but what does it really mean for us? What does it look like in our daily lives? Hessian continues, all day long the choice will be before us in a thousand ways. It'll mean no plans, no time, no money, no pleasure of our own. It means a constant yielding to those around us, for our yieldedness to God is measured by our yieldedness to man. Every humiliation, everyone who tries and vexes us, I'm sure you never have that, that's only in South Africa, Uh, is God's way of breaking us, so that there is a yet deeper channel in us for the life of Christ. People imagine, he says, that dying to self makes one miserable. It's just the opposite, he says. It's the refusal to die to self that makes you miserable. The more we know of death with Christ, the more we shall know of his life in us, and the more of real peace and joy. Well, here we are in Matthew's Gospel. The Calvary Road begins here in many ways. Sure, it was in the eternal heart and decrees and plan and purposes of God. And sending his son, but if you know the story of the Gospels and at all the book of, uh, well, really, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, the turning point is, and especially Matthew, when Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi, says on this rock, I will build my church. Hugely significant, the, the, the watershed moment for the whole Gospel of Matthew, uh, the midpoint, the, 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 the hinge. And we're going to pick it up from verse 21 again, just to get the context. Matthew 16 from verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, a pro- what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Oh Lord, we thank you for this time now in your word. Thank you for these encouraging songs. We have sung and this chance to commune together with brothers and sisters from uh, another hemisphere and another side of the world. But we are one in Christ because of the blood of your dear Son. Maybe there are some here today, boys or girls, men or women, who have never died yet. They're unsaved. They've never known the the joy of the crucified life, of surrendering their life to the Lord Jesus. And for us who do know you, Lord, we still have a lot more dying to do. It's what our baptism first proclaimed as we were buried with Christ in baptism, rising to walk in newness of life. And it's what the Christian life is all about May we, as Paul prayed, know Christ more in the fellowship of his sufferings and the likeness of his death and the glory of his resurrection power. In his risen name we pray. Amen. If you'd like an outline this morning, brothers and sisters, there's really two main sections. Clear conditions followed by strong incentives. Clear conditions we'll look at in verse 24, and then briefly whatever time is left, verses 25 to 28 strong incentives so it's kind of uh two sections and each of these will have a few subpoints, if you like the so that we can prove to be real christians learn what a true disciple of christ looks like and what it means to follow christ along the calvary road Not the first time Jesus spoke this way, if you might recall or know back in Matthew. We won't turn there, but back in chapter 10, he spoke very similarly about taking up your cross, denying self, following Christ. There's been a lot of debate recently about what about a loved one, a relative who invites you to a gay wedding. Well, friends, when you have to count the cost amongst your own loved ones, when you have to be unpopular with family members, you should not be surprised. Our Lord told us it will be that way. Prepare yourself, right? There will be a clash. You can't always keep the peace. You won't be able to preserve the relationship and always build bridges if it is at every cost and the cost of truth. This is Christian discipleship. We need to take heed, all of us, especially preachers are at risk. None of us is immune. None of us is above these very real temptations to take an easier road, to avoid the Calvary road, to seek comfort over obedience and man-pleasing over God-pleasing. Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God, right, in your mind, but the things of man, as we just read in verse 23. But let's come now to these clear conditions. There's really three of them here in verse 24. Self-denial, cross-carrying, and following. These are the three clear conditions. Self-denial, cross-carrying, and following. I love the way Run writer puts it. When believers confess who Jesus is, as Peter has just done in his monumental declaration there, Uh, back in verse 16. To confess who Jesus is is to inevitably confess what you must become. Jesus, he says, is not some specimen under a microscope that you can examine coldly and then remain neutral about. If you say, Thou art the Christ, you impose a claim upon yourself. To truly know him is to follow him. I love the way that was brought out in that hymn. Thank you, brother. Go to dark gethsemane and how timely that we've been at the lord's table thank you scott we don't just to get to rejoice as glorious as it is in the work christ has done for us when we truly believe and receive that free gift it produces a work in us we don't just get to say oh thank you jesus what you did for me the answer in return is here's what you expect of me did you notice that in the hymn that we sing Follow to the judgment hall. View the Lord of life arraigned. Oh, the wormwood and the gall. Oh, the pangs his soul sustained. Shun not suffering, shame, or loss. Learn from him to bear the cross. Calvary's mournful mountain climb. There adoring at his feet. Mark the miracle of time. God's own sacrifice complete. It is finished. Paid a price we could never pay. Hear him cry. Learn from Jesus Christ to die. And so we follow, right? not just my future i'm talking about jesus is saying it's yours my men my followers my disciples if you're with me you'll face what i face a disciple is not greater than his master right a student above his teacher and so it is here verse 24 look at the text jesus says there's disciples and, and mark tells us he summoned the crowd as well and you hear that language here if anyone notice the open armed invitation not just the 12 not just preachers missionaries full time church workers Christians of all ages. It's a universal law. It's binding on all his subjects. The king's command for all his followers, as we'll see later in verse 25. Whoever, it's a wide open invitation. If anyone, verse 24, wishes, notice the word here is determines and desires. If anyone wills and, and wants with firm resolve, with active decision, sets his will, a wholehearted decision, a full surrender. If anyone wishes, To come after me. Notice, not beside, not alongside of, not just with, but after. Submitted and subordinate. Humbled and subjected to his regal authority, his sovereign majesty. If anyone wishes to come after me. Remember, this is patriotic Galileans, these are, that he's talking to. Uh, For Jesus to be Messiah in their minds means we defeat the Romans. We crush the oppressors. We gain the victory for Jewish nationalism, right? We get to be the headman and the heralds along with King Jesus. There's a new political earthly kingdom. Woohoo! Who wouldn't want this kind of victory campaign? Until our Lord knocks them off his feet. He is to be a very different Christ than they expected, as he's just said in verses 21 to 23. And it's to be a very different road for those who follow, truly follow him. Three clear conditions. First of all, self-denial. Wait, wait, I thought we were supposed to love ourselves. I mean, if I don't look out for number one, who's going to? A few years ago, I remember, uh, I was in our, one of our uh, hospitals in Johannesburg. And uh, for I think, I can't remember, I was visiting someone or, you know, uh, pastors, you're in hospitals often. And uh, and they had a, the, the free magazine from the, the hospital called HealthWise, and the cover article was Honor Yourself. And the subtitle was The Self-Nurture. Then the subheading below that, Why is it so much easier to love our neighbors than ourselves? Does the age-old dictum need a rethink? In other words, I can still hear Pastor Ron's voice. you got a better idea. You think you're wiser than God. You just, you just, tur- you just said you disagree with Jesus. Hold on. <laughs> Stop and think about that. You're smarter than the Creator. No, the Bible assumes we naturally, inherently, almost incurably, apart from the gospel, love ourselves. Right? Remember when our kids were little, and uh, I have to be careful in church because they're sitting there sometimes, and uh, so you know I don't pick on them. But uh, one of them uh, uh, says, "You know, I love Grandpa and Grandma and Mommy and Daddy and myself too." <laughs> Thanks for your honesty, young lady. One of the top prosperity preachers in Johannesburg has done horrific damage uh, with the health, wealth, uh, heresies, and word, faith, false doctrines for decades. Once had an article in the main Saturday Star, a Johannesburg newspaper, a full-page color write-up. In bold letters on the side, it reads, This pastor says he has a very secular approach to life and believes you can achieve anything you want in life while still being a committed Christian. And it goes on to say, he teaches life is not about conforming, it's being the best you can be. It's about reaching fulfillment. It's feeling significant. Well, tell that to Jesus who said, come and die. Next, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Same word for what Peter uh, did, or would later do three times, right? Exactly what uh, Peter didn't want Jesus to do earlier in verse 21. To deny his, him, him, his, his own self and to go to the cross. I must be so sold out to Christ, brothers and sisters, that I say, I only know Christ. I, I never knew Tim. I, I, I renounce self. I disown self. I disassociate completely, and I sever the relationship. Can I put it to you this way? And this is not a normal sermon that a guest preacher would preach. Just so you know, I was, you know, I did give him some options. So anyway. <laughs> Come and die. All right. Are you dead yet? That's another way to put this. Have you abandoned the pursuit of your own identity? In a sense, you know you're saved if you have divorced yourself. It's that strong, the language here. You've relinquished any claim upon your own life. Surrenders yourself entirely to ownership and dominion and government and lordship of King Jesus. Forsaken all self-righteousness, first of all, Saying, I can't save myself. Christ alone can save me. A life I couldn't live. A death I couldn't die. A a resurrection to prove it all. And then continuing to live the Christian life. Dying to self. What's the best commentary and summary in the New Testament, I think? The best cross-reference or the best parallel text to illustrate verse 24. What does it mean to live a life of self-denial and and, and cross-carrying? Surely it's Galatians 2.20. For I have been... Crucified with Christ, Paul says. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, who gave himself for me. What a contrast to, at least, he used to be known, and I I know I'm among friends here, and he's had huge, and I would say largely, again, very harmful influence in South Africa and Christianity across the African continent. Once known as America's pastor, Rick Warren, Wall Street Journal article, the secret to Pastor Warren's success, quote, his sermons rarely linger on self-denial and fighting sin. No, instead, they focus on healing the modern American angst, like troubled marriages and stress. If that is ever said of my ministry, I'm done. Find another pastor. It's amazing, Michelle and I were talking to someone recently, we were doing the funeral for this young lady's mother who died of cancer in her 40s, and this uh, adult daughter, who frankly had been quite useless in honoring and helping her mom, was telling my dear wife, as we tried to pick up the pieces and plan a funeral for, the, for them to honor her mother, she said, you know, now that my mom's gone, I hate to tell you, but she was kind of a narcissist. My, my wife almost fell out of her chair wanting to laugh out loud, but of course not doing so. Oh, really? It's amazing how you can spot other narcissists, you know? (laughs) Until you walk by the mirror and you go, oh! (laughs) Oh, other people, I can spot all these other selfish, self-centered narcissists. Really? Really? And you? (laughs) What a contrast to one author who wrote a book called The Shadow of the Cross, Studies in Self-Denial. I recommend this. Walter Chantry. It was an overnight bestseller. I mean, you can imagine, right? shadow of the cross studies in self-denial. He says at each stage of spiritual growth, more self-denial. Verse 24, more self-denial is required. More painful blows to self. More resolve to serve the Lord Christ with consequent abandonment of one's own life. He says this is what's forgotten and ignored by modern evangelism. Anxious to bring sinners to life, peace, and joy in the Lord, evangelists have failed to even mention that Christ calls for denial of self. Self-denial is a practice at the very heart of true religion. Without its exercise, there can be no conversion to Christ. Contending with self, he says, this daily monster of self that must be slain. Can I put it to you as simply as I know how? According to the Word of God, self is not your friend, it is your greatest enemy. (laughs) Deny yourself. Keep reading. What's next? What's the next clear condition here? Deny yourself and... Take up your cross. Luke chapter 9, the parallel adds, take up the cross daily. And these were Jews in Palestine. They knew this wasn't just discomforts and inconveniences. It's more precisely what the Bible calls thorns in the flesh. We all have those, don't we? But, but no, this was an actual execution, right? An, an instrument of torture. Take up your electric chair. Stand on the guillotine. Go to the gallows. Be ready for the death sentence to be saved, to be my disciple, Jesus says, means to prepare for crucifixion. Often it starts with milder forms, doesn't it? As one wife famously said to her husband, that's great, you want to die for Jesus, can't we just start with helping with the dishes? <laughs> starts with refusing to uh, attend unlawful, ungodly uh, 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 weddings and things that would clearly dishonor God's institutions like marriage that are perverse in God's eyes, to be unpopular with loved ones because of your Christian ethics and witness. I heard recently in Johannesburg, our church was called a cult because we advised a guy to cut back on physical affection before he's even engaged to his girlfriend. Now you're a cult just because you're trying to guard her purity. What's happened to our world? What's happened to worldliness in the church? Death sentence is what it meant for the 12, remember? Remember? All but John died a martyr's death, history tells us. Some beheaded, some two crucified, one clubbed, one stoned, one speared to death, one burned at the stake. So the record goes on. The way of the cross was modeled by many in the early church during severe Roman persecutions. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, Right, Polycarp, Ignatius, Perpetua, and on the list goes. We were just at Smithfields in London. I've been there be- to London a few times and loved the Christian history spots, but my brother Jux was the one that pointed out, we've got to get to Smithfield. The Marian martyrs under Bloody Mary in the 1500s, one of them, John Philpot, he kissed the stake before they burned him, and he said these words, Shall I disdain to suffer at this stake, seeing my Redeemer did not refuse to suffer a most vile death on the cross for me? And then as he repeated the Psalms, he was burned. As A.W. Tozer famously put it, Christian, you must do something about the cross. There's only two options. Flee from it or die on it. <laughs> Come, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, never put it down, until you reach glory, as we sing, and exchange it one day for a crown, right? As Spurgeon famously said, you don't get to be a crown wearer if you're not a cross bearer. You don't get to be a crown wearer if you're not a cross bearer. We'll see the crowns in a minute. I Think of Pastor Rod, Auntie Margaret's late husband with the Lord in glory. I, how wonderful to see this on the wall last night. And by the way, I didn't know I was going to be preaching this sermon here, and I used this illustration at our church a few months ago. And I think Mariah drew it, didn't you? I die. Is that your? Okay. But she often does amazing calligraphy. And to summarize Pastor Ron's life and legacy in 36 years serving in one church, they picked that scripture from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 30, uh, 31. Three words, I die daily. That's the Christian life. Praise God for his example. Self-denial, cross-carrying, and then following. Verse 24 concludes. Keep on following. Notice the present imperative. Stay behind. Stick with me. Like sheep with their shepherd. Like like, uh, servants with their master. Like soldiers with their captain. I love the way someone put it. Following means trust without question. Obedience without hesitation. And imitation without reservation. Oh. Oh, that kind of following. Not just what I grew up with in the Bible Belt of this country, where it's sign a card, pray a prayer, uh, walk an aisle, and uh, get, get your get-out-of-hell-free card. No, no, this is a real living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Sound familiar? The saints in the Tribulation, Revelation 14, 144,000. Modern Christianity has painted an exact opposite picture, hasn't it, of what Jesus says here. All we hear now is come to Christ to, to, to feel better about yourself, to, to use Jesus for his benefits and for life enhancement without any repentance or any self-hatred, which is a full of false converts. No, Jesus says there is a great school of salvation and the opening doorway as you arrive in God's grand plan of redemption is, yes, by his sovereign election and his grace alone through his spirit, when he regenerates you, you are called to come and die. Let no one enter here who is unwilling To renounce themselves, right? And to follow Christ. Remember that story about missionaries bound for Africa years ago. They often put their clothes in a coffin. They knew they wouldn't come back. One ship captain said, You idiots! You fools! What are you going over there for? You're just going to die! They said, Captain, you don't understand. We died long ago. We died long ago. Ours is the joy now of living for Christ. Well, Jesus doesn't leave us with strong incentives. Let me, more briefly, in closing, I mean with clear conditions uh, and not strong incentives. Notice, now, come. After the clear conditions, I'll quickly review. There's not too many of you here uh, in a room like this. I'll take the liberty. What were they? I'm sure you're a well-taught church. Self-denial, cross-carrying, following. So also, the strong incentives are also three. Uh, at least three. Three strong incentives. Let's call it real life, real gain, and real reward. Real life, real gain, real reward. Not the first time we've seen Jesus' upside-down kingdom, right? And his playful paradoxes in his teaching. Look at verse 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But Whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. But you say, hold on, what is life about if it's not saving? I mean, that's the, that's the, the, the motto of, of modern man, right? Self-preservation, self-expression, self-pampering, self-nurture. What did the Bible tell us? In the last days, men will be lovers of self, right? Second Timothy 4. But Jesus warns this apparent gain actually leads to unbelievable loss, eternal loss in the city of no return, a place called Hades. One writer puts it well. To spend yourself trying to get the best you can out of this present life, the here and now, is to lose life in the fullest sense. This person exists, but they do not live. Have you ever noticed how the cult of self today dehumanizes, actually degrades people, as Romans 1 warns us, right? Leaves them empty and unsatisfied, broken and bruised, isolated, alienated in the Look again at the text, verse 25. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Have you noticed secularism is suicidal, not only eternally, spiritually, but even physically, temporally, literally. Every time I come back to this nation, I find more and more there's just ugliness, there's just defacing, there's just endless, you know, uh, I, I won't get too specific with you, though I, I know I'm among friends, but just an absolute uh, infatuation with ugliness in the physical appearance and a, and a loss of beauty and dignity in the culture that was once here because of the influence of the Bible. No wonder we have soaring rates of mental illness, depression, suicide, anxiety. It starts with a birth dearth, and I know I'm among friends here because it's beautiful and obvious you're not afraid of big families. But America uh, is it's not even reproducing anymore, right? It's, it's a literal suicide and an emptying of the cradle. He who finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will... Find it, right? Notice he doesn't say wishes this time. He just says actually loses it. As one writer puts, it, goes on to say, he now finds this true believer. The life he lived before giving up all for Christ was no life at all. Full and abundant life is a life of service. Life in Christ. A life that takes anyone away from merely selfish concerns and puts ultimate meaning on life. You tell me, friends, what is the life of a devoted Christian mother of small children, all those underground years, behind-the-scenes labors for for the good of her home, if it's not one long story of dying to self, losing to gain, right? Well, what's the life of a hard-working Christian father breaking his back year after year, putting bread on the table? It's a thankless task most of the time, and yet his Lord has promised gain through loss, life through. What's the life of a church leader, small group leader, Christian leader, Discipler, counselor, if not a regular, ongoing, daily self-denial, dying to self, so that Christ's resurrection power would flow through you. To touch many lives, to bear eternal fruit. Did Paul not say this? 2 Corinthians 4, do you remember? Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest. Manifest in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. I die daily. This is the Christian life. Real life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, as Jim Elliott so famously put it. As Matthew Henry writes, this great assurance enabled many Christian victors to triumph over death. As we just commemorated and honored in London at a few of the memorials we could Briefly visit. It enabled them to go smiling to a scaffold, to stand singing at a stake, and to call the worst of their enemies' rage just a light and momentary affliction, as Paul writes. Real life, notice there's contrast with each of these, losing versus finding, and now we have real gain, verse 26, and the contrast is profit compared to forfeit. Jesus reiterates his point, verse 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and forfeits his own soul. Sounds like Satan in the wilderness with Jesus. Here's all the world's kingdoms I'll give to you if you sell your soul to me. None of the world's billionaires comes close to owning the whole world today. Unimaginable wealth, untold riches. To inherit the earth, you could say, in this life, and yet lose your eternal, everlasting soul. He who dies with the most toys is an eternal idiot and an undis- indescribable loser. And a hopeless soul. Keep reading. What will the prophet of man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You won't get a worse exchange rate. Right now in South Africa, we're going with 20 rand to the dollar. It's, it's pretty abysmal. But to have all the world has to offer without Christ is to be eternally bankrupt it is a horrific trade-off it is a satanic seduction it is the most dastardly deal queen elizabeth I once famously said as she was dying millions of money for an inch of time for an inch of time if only i had a little more time all the money in the world could not buy back a single moment look at the third incentive here real life losing versus finding real gain we saw profit versus forfeit now notice the third incentive here real reward Verses 27 and 28. Real reward. And again, there's a contrast. The present versus the future. It's only light of eternity that any of these strong incentives make sense. It's knowing how the story ends. It changes everything. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Sooner than you realize. Today, we are closer than when we first believed. Another thing I loved about Pastor Ron and his legacy, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Maybe today, uh, Christians are forward-looking people. Our eyes are lifted. The Calvary road turns into a glory road. Death gives way to life, sorrow to joy. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and, and will then repay every man according to his deeds, not his words. No, the Bible strongly emphasizes our deeds. We're saved by grace alone, but we will be judged and rewarded one day. Not justified, but we will be rewarded and eternally uh, benefiting in varying degrees. The Bible teaches a doctrine that's disappeared from the church today because it sounds too Roman Catholic for us. We are saved by grace alone and we will be judged by works. We will be evaluated based on our deeds, our levels of fruitfulness and self-denial and service. We have missionaries in Israel right now. Right in Kiryat Shemana, Jux's, my brother here, his daughter, she's been there, what, three weeks? They flew there in the middle of the war to help serve our missionaries. She doesn't want to come back. How's he supposed supposed to stay to his girl? She she wants to stay there. (laughs) Go, girl, yeah. She asked what the elders thought. We we, we said, well, of course, we gave the standard answer. Be wise, do your homework. One more thing, can we come with? She's ministering to our missionaries there who have been featured now by Joel Rosenberg and all kinds of people because they're the only ones who are willing to stay on the front lines. It wasn't just for their words. It's their deeds. It's their courage. They're feeding the soldiers, giving them the gospel. Their deeds stand out. Verse 28. Truly, now Jesus says it more emphatically than anything else. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All three places, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This comes right before the transfiguration. I think that's what Jesus refers to here. The blessed hope for Christians, which the transfiguration mountain would be a foretaste, a a trailer, a a teaser, an appetizer, a starter. The hope of the believer, the terror of the unbeliever, the joy of the Christian, the the fear of of the non-Christian. Clear conditions, self denial, cross carrying, following. Strong incentives, real life, real gain, real reward. Can I just throw in? I think there's actually a fourth incentive here behind all three of them. It's not just real life, real gain, real reward. Beneath it all is a real person, Christ. He's worth it. Notice, it's for me, verse 24, two times. It's for my sake. Verse 25, it's because I am coming back soon. (laughs) Who's your Lord? Who's your King? This is what it comes down to. Who rules and leads your life? Is it self or is it Christ? We love good old-fashioned catechisms in our church, and I'm sure you appreciate them too. Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I belong body and soul, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. People in South Africa are very tempted to immigrate. It's not wrong. We don't condemn them. You you, you haven't been in their shoes. I'm not fully in their shoes. I still have this blue thing called an American passport if they decide they're going to slaughter all the whites in the country. So I don't condemn people that immigrate. But we do remind them, wherever you go, find a place to go and die for Jesus and live, live a life of service for others rather than for yourself because that's real joy, and that's real life. I'll close with that wonderful hymn we love to sing in our church. You probably know it as well. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known. Yet how rich is my condition! God and heaven are still my own. Let the world despise and leave me. They've left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them, untrue, Lord. Oh, while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and might. Foes may hate, and friends disown me. Show thy face, and all is bright. Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Can you say that? Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come, disaster, scorn, and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee, Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl. Clouds may gather, all must work for good to me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this precious church, this congregation, this opportunity to minister your living and holy, convicting and comforting word. We borrow once more from that Calvary Road preacher. We want this to be our prayer as jesus has taught us and as has been summed up well lord bend that proud and stiff-necked eye help me to bow the head and die beholding him on calvary who bowed his head for me thank you for these boys and girls who are here we pray for some of them who though they have been so blessed with godly parents and a faithful church and christian education we but who have not yet come to know the Savior and truly denied themselves and been willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. May they, at their young, ripe age, become true Christ. today. Pray that for boys and girls, men and women here, that you would make Liberty Bible Church more, and us back in Johannesburg, Antioch Bible Church, more of a cruciform, cross-shaped, Calvary Road people in a self-seeking world of those who are spiritually dead may we show them real life in christ alone and by our love for one another in his saving name we pray amen